Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Glad Trad Podcast. I'm Rodolfo Carlos. How's it going? I'm Jordan Pacheco. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about uh, the demographics of the Extraordinary Forum today. Uh, but first, I wanted to thank you all. Um, as I mentioned in my previous video on um, the roles of a husband, or rather the role of a husband, um, my father was in the hospital and uh, he actually passed away. So I, I thank you very much for your prayers and um, your continued prayers also for the repose of his soul. And uh, keep in mind also the, all the other holy souls in purgatory. I think that's something that we have to remember uh, pretty often. Um, Charles Cologne mentioned that actually. So yeah, keep that in mind. Pray for those holy souls. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, how are you doing? How are how is uh, wedding planning going? Wedding planning is going fine, and um, you know my my coming up. It's coming up, dude. It's coming up. Uh, I wanted to real quick just hit that. Um, you know, I I pray for. I offer my my Eucharist at Mass uh, for repose of your father's soul, and I encourage our listeners to please take this week and when you receive Holy Communion, if you're able to. Uh, just please offer that, especially for the repose of, of your father's soul. You know, we trust in in God's judge justice, but also in God's mercy, certainly. Um, True. So anyway, as for as for wedding prep, which you asked, dude, I'm ready to be freaking married already. I have never <laughs> I've never. It's so funny because I remember when yeah. Jen and I first got <laughs> engaged, we were Jen was like, we should take our engagement in stride. Like, I want to really feel it. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like. I want to feel what it's like to be an engaged man. I'm freaking, I'm, <laughs> I'm so done. So wedding prep is going great. We have so many of our tent pole stuff down. We're getting our little details down. I'm T minus four months from being where you are, which is a married man. And mm -hmm. I, one thing that our priest told us is that he's like, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be good and prudent and careful because it, you know, it gets harder, not easier, the closer you get to the finish line. And it's true. Um, not like, not like, uh, not like completely all physical stuff, but just thinking, I'm like, man, driving Jen home. I'm like, it's just going to be so nice when we just don't have to do this anymore. All right. It's be so nice <laughs> when I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go to bed. And she's like, okay, I'm going to stay here on the couch and watch some TV. And I'd be like, all right, cool. Um, it's going to be cool not to have to lock doors. Like there's just a lot of stuff. I'm just so excited for <laughs> oh man it's true uh when when ashley and i were were getting close to the date all kinds of stuff started going wrong and father fryer he talks about how we shouldn't attribute every little problem to demons and stuff and right. i think that's true i think you have to be very careful because it's not always that but man there's some spiritual warfare going on because there's all kinds of stuff trying to distract you mm -hmm. and yeah I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, God bless you and Ashley because you guys went through the ringer having a wedding in June in California. Oh, yeah. Like my my great respect goes out to you guys because Jen and I pushed ours back and y'all were like, no, we're we're doing this. And, you know, with <laughs> with with a, with a happy wife and with a child on the way and all that kind of stuff, you know, just how how overjoyed yeah. it must be like. Um, I'm so I'm so I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so I, I honestly like you guys Thanks, are our great marital inspiration. Um, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, man. All you got to do is get out of California. Heaven's sake. <laughs> yeah. All in God's time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to go now. <laughs> uh, Texas. Texas. 
<laughs> yeah, well, Texan. I'll see Texan. you in what's is it Daniel okay, Boone nice. who said to hell with y'all? I'm going to Texas or whatever. <laughs> uh, if if you know in the chat, please uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. So, um, let me. So you know, in this time of COVID for audience, I'm sure everyone's aware mass attendance has collapsed. There is a great um, crisis in the church right now. Obviously, we are now seeing a lot of people have to really take their faith and hold it as for on for dear life. There are priests and there are bishops who are fighting the good fight, who are trying to open up parishes, who have their parishes open, who have their churches open, their diocese open. And there are priests and bishops who have essentially abandoned the faith, the supernatural faith, and plenty and plenty of, of fellows. And I keep meeting Catholics. Maybe you had you too, Rudy, but I keep meeting Catholics, particularly Novus Order Catholics, because that's oftentimes where the hemorrhage is the greatest. Uh, they say mm -hmm. that only 5% of Catholics right now are attending mass. And before the pandemic, only 20, 25% were attending. So I'm playing a lot of game board games with my friends who are Catholics have been Catholic their whole life. And they're talking to me about how this is such a struggle because they feel like the church has really left them out to dry in a lot of ways that they're, they're treated as if they're suspects guilty of some uh, terrible, horrible disease, right? They're treated worse than the lepers where, where Jesus went out and healed the lepers and touched them and interacted. The church is like, Oh, you don't have a reservation. You can't come. Well, you have to wear a mask, all that kind of stuff. And it's now March and Protestants are winning their battles and the Catholic church won't. Um, and so it's really genuinely scandalizing a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are, I had a, I had a friend the other day who said, you know, I'm, I'll always be a Catholic, but like, I don't know if I can stay in the church right now. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she was like, well, it just seems like I, I know that this is all BS. I know this is wrong and how do we fight it? But it's like everywhere I look, it's always the clergy and then other lady who are just telling me, no, no, no. If you think those thoughts, you're a bad Catholic or something. Uh, mm. So yeah, it's no, really, I feel that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it com comes to my dad, um, the, he went to a Catholic hospital and, um, they wouldn't let me in to see him. They wouldn't let a priest go into the room. And you know, what is really weird about it is they would let uh, non-Catholic chaplains into the room, which was very odd. I don't understand why, hmm. because I had talked to the priest and I said, listen, my dad's been away from the sacraments for a very long time. And I'm most concerned about his whole, his, his soul, like yeah. the state of his soul, you know, and his eternity. And he says, okay, well, I'll see what I can do. And, you know, that, that was promising. And then um, I got a call from him and he's like, this is what he said. And, and I don't, I don't want to scandalize people, but he said, these are, these are his direct words. He said, you don't have to worry about your dad's spiritual health. He is completely 100% spiritually healthy after what I did. And I said, what did you do? And he's like, well, I gave him a spiritual a spiritual anointing of the sick. And I said, what? I was saying myself like, what is that? That's, that doesn't sound right. That's not a thing. Well, it turns out he didn't go into the room. He did. He, he couldn't go into the room. My dad was unconscious. So I don't even know if he even received anything, mm -hmm. but um, he didn't go into the room at all. And then after that, I could never get a hold of him because the second time I called him, I said, Hey, I've confirmed with other priests and this isn't even a thing. Like what, what did you do? So yeah, no, I totally feel it because, you know, it's not just my dad think about everybody else who's in a Catholic hospital who can't even see a priest, you know, that's, right. that's so sad. And, and it's true. Like you said, 
they they view us as if we're some sort of leper, you know, but it's the reverse because if you look into the scriptures, people went out. Well, if you look in the scriptures, people avoided the lepers. That's true. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I mean to say is there have been saints who went out of their way to go and to serve the lepers. I mean, Christ himself, but also there's other saints who have gone out and, and sacrificed their life for these people who really needed above all, above all things, not just their, their physical health, but their spiritual health tended to. Yeah. And it's just so sad. I mean, it's, I'm not surprised that the church is hemorrhaging so much, you know, uh, this is just one small aspect, but think about all the other things. I mean, this is a, a sign of a very deep rot that that we're starting to see. In a way, one the only one of the silver linings from this is that you know that you have to be in the true church because the devil is attacking so hard. Um, mm-hmm. And on the other side, the rot is so deep and it might seem overwhelming. I think it just shows, again, it's the cadaver synod of the modern era. We're just parading this corpse around these these men who pretend to hold the supernatural faith, these institutions that pretend to hold the supernatural faith. And then when push comes to shove, when we ask them to be really Christ-like and be heroic in their witness, they don't do it. And, no. you know, we're not saying as, as Christians, you know, our lives are gifts from God. It's not to throw all caution to the wind and all that kind of stuff, but it is to fundamentally trust so radically in the love of Jesus to realize that our lives because of gifts from God can be forfeit at any instant. And if it's going to be forfeit, if we are dust and unto dust, we shall return, then it's up to us to go, I will go out to the lepers. I will go out and make sure that I can actually anoint the sick. There's not a spiritual anointing of the sick. Oh, you don't have to worry about your father. Like the the disingenuous nature of what we've done with the sacraments. And so now, right, there have been Catholics who have not been to confession in a year. They've not received the sacraments in a year. The prerequisites of the church, the, the six precepts of the church i've just gone completely out the window there's a there's right. a an eternal dispensation apparently in some places and you're seeing the great scandal of the faith and so i'm not surprised i'm saddened but i'm not surprised when catholics go well you know um the you know the protestant church next to me has been open and they're fighting and they're so active about it and they're so radical when they talk about their love of jesus christ and bringing the mm-hmm. gospel and they will fight it and the church is a church that our history is full of fighters. The saints are always fighters. And so I've been really meditating on St. Catherine of Siena, who's a relatively new saint for me to understand her story, because mm-hmm. what St. Catherine did is she's the one who helped end the Avignon papacy. And right. she, she admonished she, mm-hmm. one of the popes. She, she admonished mm-hmm. the pope. And she said, essentially, you must be reminded of your rank. You're not just a man. You are a prince of the apostles now. And it's right. bigger than you. And you have an obligation to the faithful to do your job, essentially. And like in like the most Chad way ever, what a boss, do your job. And so, you know, for all Catholic, for any Catholic who's listening, who maybe your parish has been closed or maybe the restrictions are so draconian still, um, please, please, please look at your other options in the Catholic church. Don't give up on the faith. Do not give up on the church. Don't let the evils of men disturb your inner peace right be a be a thief of peace which is a phrase rudy taught me there are so many churches and there's so many priests who really want to offer the sacraments who really believe and want to fight and maybe they're not always the most outward right um you know one of the differences of course is is leadership and archbishop aquila out here 
Um, mm-hmm. He has a good relationship with the fraternity, and he's and with a lot of priests who are just doing their thing. So the fraternity has been exploding as it has been at St. Vitus in California, um, but it's mm-hmm. much more close under the fact that the archbishop understands that there is a salvation of souls at stake. Um, you know, I think that it can be you know, the fraternity has a different approach, of course, in Los Angeles because I feel like, you know, we don't have a relationship with Gomez, quite frankly. No, we're we're also under the magnifying glass most of the time. Exactly, and you know the arch the archdiocese. I don't know if it's the archbishop himself, but you know they send their spies, mm-hmm. and you know they they keep an eye on us. So, well, you uh, know we have to we have to play along, you know. But Father Jackson out here has been turned into the health department six times. He's had conversations with them six times. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, he has one speed dial, you know. Um, <laughs> The uh, founder of the Augustine Institute, Tim Gray, talks about a lot of times in his daily reflections how this pandemic has aged the church a decade, a decade and a half. And that's completely true. Again, we talk about how mass attendance is at 5%. It's an abysmal low. Um, I mean, the dust is going to really, really settle and we're going to have to ask what we've done. But it's funny because since this has aged the church a decade, decade and a half, this has been an explosion hand over foot for the extraordinary form. This has been an explosion across tons of Latin mass communities, not just here in the United States, but across the world. And I think what we understand from that, of course, is that when you have the philosophy and the theology in place that makes you recognize the supremacy of the sacraments, the necessity of the sacraments, you are more likely to to go out there and make sure the sacraments are dispensed upon the faithful. You're not going to just shut your doors and cower under your bed. But I do mm-hmm. believe that it's it's not just exclusively just Latin Mass, but I think, again, it's the great tradition of the church manifest exactly. in the Mass, right? That really right, makes right. priests heroic witnesses to the faith. There's just more, there's just, more to it than than the latin mass um the latin mass is what's unifying us but like you said it's the tradition of the church that is alive and well um, that you see in traditional parishes um it's not just you know the information of the last 50 years i i i think a lot of the uh the churches that we see today who are not who are not offering the traditional mass um it's, it's almost as if they, they see everything that happened after the Second Vatican Council, and they see that as like the only way to operate. There's no, there's no sense of the tradition, the magisterium of the church over 2,000 years. It's very new, and that's why oftentimes you feel, if, maybe feel is the wrong word, but oftentimes you, you kind of sense that... Um, the liturgy that you attend at a Novus Ordo parish is very dated. I think we've talked about this before. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, like um, the music, the sort of hammy style of uh, like entertaining the crowd that a priest has as a, you know, as sort of like a, a role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All of those things are, are very of a, of a certain time period, you know, and um it lacks it lacks roots its roots in tradition i mean that's a very bold statement so i'll, I'll leave it at that but <laughs> <laughs> this is take well, that with a grain of salt well look at this so i'll tell you this right now um 
even what's happening in the Novus Ordos here in Colorado, they are not the same as the ones of my childhood. Even in New Mexico, in northern New Mexico, what I'm mm-hmm. seeing is the candles are back on the altar. Um, wow. There is Ad Orientum is coming back. I think that is the first thing that you're going to see in Novus Ordo ch- churches that goes back to tradition, right? I think hey, that- we should do our podcast at Ad Orientum. Ad Orientum? Okay, well. <laughs> I think that the- <laughs> no, we are. We have to be towards the people. <laughs> we have to be towards the people so that the priest can be towards God, uh, as we are. So, <laughs> um, right. I know it's incredibly <laughs> exciting, and I really, really am excited because I think that the church is going through a crunch. It's going to be smaller, but the fire that's within right now, and the tools that we as traditionalists especially have to go forward, and. So I'll get into this article a little bit. So forgive me if I butcher mm-hmm. some of these naming naming schemes, but this is from uh, HPR Web, uh, which is the uh, homilytic and pastoral review. I've not really been with them, but it says America's foremost pastoral publication since 1900. So, you know, you might roll your eyes as a trad at the word pastoral until you hear the word 1900. So, you know, take it with what you will. This is an article called The Demographics of the Extraordinary Form, Young People, Families, Sex Ratios, and Diversity, written on the 14th of January of this year by Dr. Robert Shaw. And so what happened is it was a methodology, an international methodology conducted by the uh, Federatio Internacionalis Una Voce, or the FUIV, which are some dudes, and they submitted this report to the Holy See, okay? So this is not just like some random dudes doing stuff. This is a report that went up to the Vatican. And part of the paragraph- oh, by the way, Jordan, Jordan, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the um, Una Voce has been around since 1964. They were actually pushing for the Latin mass. Oh, really? Okay. After the council. Yeah. So thank you. So that's a piece <laughs> um, of history I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's actually a parishioner at, uh, at Vitus who used to work with them. And I, I wish I would know a little bit more about what that was like, but- yeah, there's probably stories there. <laughs> oh my gosh, find him. You know, I feel like I have maybe not a miss, not an article or something about Una Voce now thinking about it in some of the trad magazines that I have lying around this freaking place. <laughs> um, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you to Una Voce. You guys are doing uh, God's holy work then. And so mm-hmm. the point of this data is, you know, before you get to like the breakdowns of things, and it's a very, very detailed report, I highly recommend you read it. But this paragraph here says this. These data support the often heard characterization of the EF, the extraordinary form, as having a particular strong attraction for young people and families. I shall further draw on the report and other sources to show that the EF congregations generally have a more balanced sex ratio than those in the ordinary form and to reveal the capacity of the EF to engage diverse ethnic and linguistic groups. There are two things here, Rudy, before we even get into it that we should definitely discuss because oftentimes detractors will say this well the latin mass is only going to attract uh white european males right that's the only one old white european males and uh considering that you and i both are not old white european males i think it's funny when you go to a latin mass and you go wow there are actually uh there are a lot of different sorts of peoples here where in even with diverse communities uh, in the Novus Ordo churches, like the church that we both went to in the ordinary form had had three different masses, right? But it's English, it was Spanish, and it was Vietnamese. Vietnamese. And so you didn't see that interaction of all the different ethnic groups, I feel. No, it was separate, actually. One of the one of the things, because I was in the um I was in the parish council 
And Excuse one me. of the, the problems we were having was that the Vietnamese community liked to be on their own. And we were trying to incorporate them into the, the greater role of the parish. And it was difficult, but it was because they were so tight knit and it, it, it was almost like a whole different sort of community. It was, it was interesting, but yeah. um, yeah. in the traditional, in the traditional, right. Uh, there's so many different people. And the cool thing is that they interact um, less much less, less so from like, um, Oh, well I'm Vietnamese. I like to be around Vietnamese people. Mm-hmm. They interact more like, Hey, I love Catholic. I love being, I love being Catholic. I love Christ. Let's talk about it. Super nice people. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I talk with a priest reached out to me on Facebook and he is a, he's a black priest from Chicago. Uh, I can't get him on the podcast. He refuses to do it. I'm so mad. So I'm going to keep trying. It might take us a couple of years. Black priest from Chicago who learned the extraordinary form and is now in the Philippines teaching the extraordinary form to Filipino priests. Cool. Like, like honestly, like, yeah, that, right. That story writes itself. And so it's so funny to me because part of what makes the Latin mass so rich and what makes ad orientum in particular so rich is that it's not about the priest. So they, the, the great thing, the great compliment is that you're never supposed to notice what priest is saying mass, the heads, the back of the heads all look the same. Now, obviously we know what priest (laughs) is saying mass, but it doesn't matter if they're black, if they're white, if they're Asian, and you don't expect there to be like these different variations of homiletics or different variations of of how they're going to conduct the mass oftentimes we have the stereotype in the catholic church that if we have an immigrant priest he's probably going to be better especially if he's from africa than than my my old white priest from the east coast or whatever it is you know and it's a great credit to <laughs> it's a great credit to the extraordinary form and the sort of fraternities and societies and things that it creates because i don't feel like that's a problem i feel like i'm going to get a solid homily regardless of the background of my priest, which is precisely what the church is about. Exactly. So that's, that's demographics. And then they also talk about um, the breakdown in ages, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, Right. It obviously leads towards the youth, Mm -hmm. which is like sort of a a reverse Woodstock (laughs) <laughs> it's like a reaction against the 60s and everything about it so there is so i'll tell you this right now so there is it breaks it down again it's not just a north american survey it breaks it down not just by continent it even does region so there's mm-hmm. a header here which is who attends the extraordinary form and it's the dominant demographics of extraordinary form congregations a lot of science nerd statistics information but of course the summary in the bottom says this With some variations between continents and regions, the results make clear that a very strong association between celebrations of the extraordinary form and young people and families. And this and families part is so crucial because if your church ain't crying, it's dying. And how many times have we gone and unfortunately seen a very, very pretty church with a very aged population? And some people speculate that that's one of the reasons why the church has reacted in the whole COVID mess as it has, because we have an aging church that we're not replacing our numbers, except when it comes, especially to the extraordinary form. So it says, um, the percentage of dioceses where extraordinary form congregations are identified as predominantly old is no in, in no region greater than 11.1%. In no region of these places surveyed across the globe, these dioceses, right? These are diocese-wide surveys. 
is your ancient population greater than than one in ten? Um, the percentage where young people, young people and families or families is identified as predominant is 72% in North America, 69.2 in Central Europe, 62.3% in South America, 604 in Asia, 57.5% in Oceania, 55.5% in Northeast Europe, 51.7% in Northwest Europe. 31.7% in Southern Europe. So we got to really work on Italy, which doesn't surprise me. And 28.6% in Africa. So, um, I mean, what this speaks This gives to, me hope. Yeah, tell them. This gives me a lot of hope because it's obviously skewed to younger families and younger families are taking up the role of restoring the church. We're going to see that, I mean, I, that's what I hope for my daughter, mm -hmm. uh, to see her go off and start a, a traditional family. Like, oh. that's amazing. Yeah. And it shows, it really shows that, that despite all of the problems that we have in the church right now, that God, it seems as if, obviously, <laughs> I'm saying this based off of the data, it seems as if there's a plan here. Like, God is giving us a little insight here, like, this is the future. The future is tradition mm -hmm. and it's going to happen with all of the young people. And a lot of the older people, they're getting closer to the time of their death. Right. So a little bit of, um, there's going to be a, a little bit of change, but it, it's going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah. And one, but, thing, one thing to keep in mind is this. So across the world, it's true. The extraordinary form is a very small percentage of all masses celebrated. But mm -hmm. one, and so oftentimes you'll hear these characters, oh, well, don't worry about the Latin masters. It's just a small but very loud demographic. Here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Demographics don't lie, which is why we're saying the church in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years is going to look drastically different because of the numbers of good Catholics and baptized Catholics and now born Catholics who are just into tradition. For your daughter, Rudy, and for the children of Jen and I, they're going to be the first in our families to be raised in the old right um, since our grandparents were, were children in a way. And so that's yeah. terribly exciting. And so the question people ask is, well, surely uh, tradition or this whole Latin massing, it's just flash in the pan that really we're going to go to some melding of the two forms and it's going to be good. But the problem is what we're seeing, especially because none of us were there during the council, none of us were there during the changes. None of us were there during any part of that. You know, we were born in the late eighties and the nineties for heaven's sake. What we're seeing is that there is obviously a retention, a higher retention rate of the Catholic faith in traditional families. And I think that the reason why is because there is this greater uh, encouragement of uh, Christ-centric relationships, that the father is the head of his wife, he just as Christ is the head of the church, that he leads the family in prayer, that his wife governs the children, that they look after each other, you know what I mean? The two become one, and that, that Holy Day is obligation, fasting, the life of the saints, all these, it, it, you're not just like a cultural Catholic anymore, but you are right. now actually a Catholic engaged in the culture. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And these, um, these little cells of, uh, well, at least families will become sort of little bastions, you know, so that's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. That gives me hope. The, the one, one really interesting thing is they talk about gender balance in this. And so um, 
this is something that's uber huge. So on the ordinary form side, the article says, there's an abundant evidence from the USA and England and Wales that women outnumber men at celebrations. Do you know what the ratio is? It a, I think it was two to one, right? Yeah, it's two to one. Two to one. Uh-huh. Right. That's crazy. And, and no wonder. Do you remember in the young adult group at the other church, uh, all the girls were like, where are the good Catholic guys? Uh-huh. Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with them. Now. I, now I, <laughs> I feel for them. I feel for them. I do feel for them. But they're all they're all in the Latin mass, my dude. Well. It's true. I mean, if it's two to one, mm-hmm. then it's pretty scarce. That's maybe. right. And so, and imagine what kind of not to not to mischaracterize every guy who who still attends the ordinary form, of course. Um, no, no. But you know, of course not. We have you know. You're I, just effeminate. You're just an effeminate loser. <laughs> Being you know, you, you don't have your priorities straight. Oh my and, gosh. And you're just going along with with the wave, man. Well, you're this just, is just this is simple. It's going it's with that, the water. In some, in a lot of churches and all across the church, there's been there's this, this great attack on masculinity across the culture, and the great attack on femininity, the authentic expressions of both of them, what God mm-hmm. means for us to be man, what God means for us to be woman, and so what we see a lot of times is the rule of my my parish priest. He calls you know it's a rule of uh, what do you say? He said communism, modernism, or um, communism, modernism, and feminism are the, the three isms that are ruined. Pope Benedict actually talks about this in his relativism. Um, right. And so what's funny about that is I think a lot of times about if you're a guy attending mass and you're trying to find your way out and the hymns don't appeal to you and it's always these pantsuited ladies up on the altar and the priest is just a community organizer. And I almost expect out of Novus Ordo that the altar servers are going to be girls. Because why would you as a boy, they do, they do studies on this. It's not surprising. Right. Like, why would you do with the same activity that your little sister can do? And especially right. if the point of altar serving is to help foster vocations, or one of the points is to help foster vocations amongst men, authentic masculinity in the priesthood. And you see Zippy Susan up there in her, in her, you know, in her, uh, in her jeans underneath that white, uh, all that they wear. Um, that's a, that's a feature, not a bug. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, <laughs> I think that, that that's pushing a lot of guys who are thinking about vocations into the, into tradition, which is really cool because, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be, they'll be, um, they'll be the next parish pastor at so-and-so parish, you right. know, and they'll be providing the, the land mass. Yeah. I, you know what? I don't like, I don't like it when people say the extraordinary form. Oh, I hate that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's like, like no it's not extraordinary like mm-hmm. this is the way it should be that yeah, it's this is the real ordinary what it's supposed to be uh-huh <laughs> the og <laughs> well it's funny because isn't it interesting that they decided that they weren't going to make a separate right out of the novus ordo that instead that there are for the first time in catholic history two forms of the same right equal in dignity and this sort of thing it's plessy versus ferguson if you ask me it's separate but equal which of course means that they are separate but unequal um right. which is why it's like we chase after the unicorn of, of look i i'm charles clone pointed out that the the myth of the 20 minute low mass before the before the council was true you know and i think that's a really important thing as tragedy to remember we did not always have it this good there was not always fraternities and Institute of Christ, the Kings and all these other organizations who were offering really, really good liturgy. Yeah. Um, but 
I always maintain that that's what the council should have done. Essentially, the fraternity of St. Peter should have been birthed in the 60s instead of the 80s, I always maintain. Like, mm -hmm. in, the, in this call of Vatican II for the great liturgical renewal, they should have actually put things in place to really foster that in. Instead, we threw the baby out with the bathwater in 1970. Um, and so there are those who will say, well, the future of the church is bi-liturgical. A priest will be able to say both, and you can go to your both, and you can have your cake, and you can eat it too. But the problem is when there is such a philosophical divide on what the mass authentically and fundamentally is, if you if you find a priest or a bishop in particular, who's as a lot of them are nowadays, who are just kind of laissez-faire about if you attend the Latin mass, you attend the Novus Ordo, the Latin mass will just kind of keep doing this. There's not an equilibrium. They're not. We're not finding an equilibrium after all. The the uh, conciliar reform of the reformers. They're not gaining ground because all those guys were like, all right, we're just going to go to tradition. Like, what's the point? What are we reforming it towards until it rests <laughs> in what it should be, which is a lot in mass. Right. Inevitably, it just goes back. Mm -hmm. Like it just arcs back. So you will always, you might as well just get a, you might as well get a head start and just leave your Novus Ordo parish. That's what I'm saying to a lot of like new priests and seminarians is that you might as well get a head start and just really get comfortable at the very least now with Ad Orientum and communion on the tongue and altar rails. Um, mm -hmm. And then, cause that starts. And then what happens is they say, okay. And I saw this at my grandparents, little village church in New Mexico. So I know this is happening. And then they do Kyrie's. They're not glory to gods. They're glorias. They're not holy, holy, holies. They're sanctuses and Agnus days. And so you start putting those propers back in. And then before you know it, you say, hey, so altar serving is a vocation for boys in order for them to get inspired by the Holy Spirit to consider priesthood. Therefore, we're not only we, we're going to have just boy altar servers. You know, um, I love I think it's such a black pill. Right. But St. Paul, like St. Paul is kind of been banished very quietly. You notice this because St. Paul is like women should remain quiet in church. <laughs> <laughs> with their heads covered and we've kind of <laughs> swept that little part of the bible under the rugs right next to uh wives be submissive to your husbands we just focus on the husbands love your wives which is good and important but you can't you can't say that in polite society you notice dude you know what i've uh i've been uh i've been listening to this podcast on spotify i don't know if it's anywhere else but it's called logos mm -hmm. scribed and spoken and basically what this guy's doing is he's reading the Dewey Rames uh, translation of the Latin Vulgate. And he is doing it so that you can read or listen to the scriptures um, like one day at a time. Like, mm. so you read or you listen or read or whatever, read along yeah. for a year and you go through the whole Bible. Oh, so it's, so and it's Bible in a, in the, in a year, but the Dewey. Version. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the cool thing is he's reading, he's reading from the same translation that i have you know the, the bible that i'm restoring yeah that's right well he's going through it and uh you know sometimes he'll say things and i'm like oh i'm gonna go look at it and i have the haydock commentaries and the commentaries are so amazing mm -hmm. like there was one the other day about um you know jesus is talking about um that there was a man in the wedding but he didn't have his wedding garment yeah that's right and so he was silent Mm -hmm. I was thinking the other day, I was like, what does that mean? I don't understand. And because uh, I've never had it explained to me. So mm -hmm. I look into the Haydock translation or the Haydock commentary and it says, it's a person who died without having, um, without having died 
um, in a state of grace. Mm. So the grace is the wedding garment. And because he didn't have anything, mm-hmm. he didn't say anything. So he can, he was already condemned. So he couldn't speak. To, he couldn't speak for himself. That's why it said he stayed silent. Oh, shoot. Okay. Got cast out. Yeah. So I wonder, I have to go through and see what some of the, uh, the St. Paul sizzlers are, you know, <laughs> like, hmm, what is it? What does it say here? Well, it's funny how, so there are three, there are three religions which grow, right? With traditional Catholicism, um, Islam, fundamental Islam, obviously, and Orthodox Judaism. And one of the reasons why is because, again, there's just these, they're these great natural, because they're, they're the expression of men and women, entrenched understandings of men are men and women are women and liturgy or service or whatever it is, is service. And this is what we do. And it's tradition. Then we build our entire culture and family around that. So I think the world, again, is just going to be divided between uh, Catholics and Muslims at some point again, uh, that the, the, the secularists and the, and those, and like, or progressive Protestantism, which is hemorrhaging right now, just bleeding out. Um, just yeah, terror on TikTok. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fun fact, uh, just for our audience, I, I read a blog called juicy ecumenism, which is written usually by like, I guess I would call them traditional mainline Protestants, like high church Protestants. And they just talk about the woes that are going on in Protestantism right now. It, it's, it's a very, very good blog. And the United Methodist. Sounds like a risk. Yay, sort of website. I know, right? I know, right? I know. I was like, well, my covenant eyes is going to catch this one. <laughs> if you, um, I think it's important to always keep an eye on what's going on in Protestantism just because you can see A, yeah. what not to do. Um, and, you know, we want a lot, and a lot of Protestant brothers and sisters are crossing the Tiber right now because they're like, holy crap, turns out Methodists, the United Methodists, are going through a schism. They're going through a split right now between traditional Methodists and liberal non-christians so they're no longer the united methodists they literally can't be the united methodists um (laughs) which is kind of (laughs) sad but also looks like protestantism lasted 500 years there will be no um with how some denominations are dying out we will have less denominations at this rate in 20 years isn't that crazy that's just the the logical conclusion you know Mm -hmm. i mean even even what we're seeing today is a logical conclusion of Protestantism because a lot of the reforms, so-called reforms, were to appease Protestants. That's right. And and so, you know, we shouldn't be very surprised when we see some of the same trends happening within the church because, honestly, in some parts of the church, it's no different than the Methodist church. If you, you go know? to a Lutheran service, you you might be really surprised on how parts of the Lutheran service feels really like like some of the Novus Ordo, like a lot of the Novus Ordo. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. Just a structure, and you're like, and meanwhile, Catholics who come from the Novus Order into Latin Mass feel like they're in a whole new world. Right. They're home. Uh, on my wedding uh, website, we we have a whole section on Latin Mass and resources, and really to help ease a lot of our family members in. Um, I come from a, a That's big great. Catholic family, but they, you know they're they're Novus Ordo, so I gotta kind of help them a little mm-hmm. bit. But I'm like, one of my things I'm trying to emphasize is this is your birthright. Like this, this is how our, our aunt, I think about um, the woman on, of uh, the woman of the well, she says, talking about her father, Jacob, I think it was right. Our, our, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, um, mm-hmm. right? Jacob's well. And so I think about that with the Latin mass. It's like our ancestors worshiped this way. And this is what, and the mass is the mass. Yes, but this is radically connects us to 
all the great saints that we've ever read about. This is the mass that Sir Thomas More saw and St. Catherine of Siena and St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. And how beautiful is that to really think about that, that line unbroken, even to today, that's the church right there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. So real quick, before we move on from gender, I just wanted to point out real quick that, um, Yep, in, in extraordinary form, sorry, Rudy, uh, in Latin mass congregations, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, the average would be about 55% men, 45% women. So this is where all the men are going. And it, it alternates. So you do get slightly higher male participation, which makes sense. But there's obviously a lot of women. Women, generally speaking, tend to have a higher religiosity than men. It's... I don't want to say easier to keep women in the pews because obviously, ladies, I understand that there are whole spiritual struggles and you're still human beings, obviously. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, congregations will skew towards women. Um, and the more liberal or the more Protestant uh, a congregation gets, the more that skews towards women. And I think it's kind of a flip of feminism, right? It's that going awry. It's a sin of Eve. And we're just trying to get back to like a right and proper liturgy which is open up to men and to women, obviously, because a 55-45 is a really nice split. So if you want to find a man, ladies, you're looking in the wrong places. Go to the Latin Mass. <laughs> Wear your mantilla. <laughs> You'll be proposed to by midnight, I promise. But um, also I hear that uh, in, in, the, um, in the more traditional communities that uh, I guess guys don't really... I, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of our or sort of time or something, but most guys don't approach. <laughs> so if you're a guy, learn how to approach yeah. a woman. It's so funny. Ask her out. Rudy, it's, jabroni, it's so funny that you say that. I was trying to make a single video yesterday and I just couldn't find the words I was trying to say, but I've told you about, this might be the perfect place. I call it killing Dulcinea. Um, <laughs> right. I ever told you this when theory. You say Dulcinea, Dulcinea. I think about your computer and also <laughs> that that video game Red Dead because yes. you named your horse that. That's right. I named my horse Dulcinea in Red Dead Redemption, and my computer's name is Dulcinea. So poor Jen's like, oh, you're so obsessed. But generally speaking, this is it, right? So as men, we have this. We we often pedestal or a woman. We fantasize. We project like what a life would be like without approaching her. So that's why guys like. Your barista draws a heart or makes one of those hearts in your coffee cup. And you're like, oh like my gosh. She this signs is your name, like, what's your name? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the perfect woman. This really is what it is. Um, and dudes, we have to learn how to be men, authentic men. We need to learn how to approach women properly again. But the biggest thing guys fear in the modern era, because we're such a comfortable peoples, is that rejection. Oh, I got a fear of rejection. I don't know how to approach girls. I'm just going to swipe on my phone and all that kind of crap. And you got to kill Dulcinea because here's the thing. Dulcinea is the most perfect woman in the world. She is kind. She is gentle. She is a high-born Catholic noble lady. She also doesn't exist. Like, she, <laughs> she, she, is, she is a manifestation of Dorotea of Toboso, who turns out to be kind of like a burly shepherd girl from the next village over. The Don Quixote, like, fantasizes about this high-born lady. And so... I'm not saying that there aren't, of course, highborn, wonderful ladies. There obviously are, but they're obviously human too, you know. So right. they're not they're not yeah. the marbled Aphrodite. <laughs> of course. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I, I mentioned that. I mean, there's more to attraction. Mm -hmm. It's it's more than just being attracted to somebody. I mean, you gotta think about is this woman gonna get me to heaven? 
is this woman yeah. gonna is she gonna help me get my kids to heaven if mm-hmm. god entrusts me with kids like right yeah well, think about that well it's even and we we're just starting on an even more basic level if you're if you see a cute girl and her little man tia and that's a great start by the way um and you're like little oh, man tia uh, well, like, or, oh i'm sorry i want like right <laughs> you want a big veil bro the that's bigger what you the veil the more for. pious a woman right isn't that a proportionate yep. thing it's true <laughs> yeah it's true um, guys like people just got to approach like i i am so happy that that people are having their little chad babies and we're like kind of half insulating <laughs> and just future proofing i should say not insulating but just future proofing right um but i actually had a conversation with a, a guy who gave me that thing he was like talking about how what he sees his life as and he wants to know if he's like, I don't know if any woman would like kind of conform to that. Cause like, I want to do work for the church, but I know that it doesn't like pay as well and stuff. And I'm like, dude, quit the hypergamy talk just for a second. Oh, find one first, you know, like go say hello first instead of then the steps will fall in place. You may not be compatible and that's perfectly okay. There's obviously there's, there's more compatibility than just the faith necessarily that you should still be compatible on, but the faith is the best thing to be compatible on. Um, and you gotta be honest too. Like you have to, you have to realize that your dreams don't necessarily line up with like reality. Like yeah. You want to serve the church. You want to do everything, but you're not going to get paid enough. It's like, well, I hate to tell you this, bro, but maybe that's not the best thing for you if you're trying to start a family. Right. Then your wife is going to have to go to work, and then you know, well, th- even- then there's going to be sacrifices with the kids and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So. Well, even for us, right? It's like we talked about this in our in our um in I think it was on our our um trad chat number one, right? Where we talked trad about chat. like, look, the ideal is yeah, we would love to have a world society where single income households uh were just widely accepted and accessible like that. And for some people, that's mm-hmm. possible, that's viable. And for other people, it's a different situation. And it's it's not to shame. It's the same as people having children, just generally. Um, God, all oh, yeah. children are blessings from God. And some families have. 10 some families have five and some families have two and they don't have any inhibitors any intrinsic evils blocking that that's just might be the way it is um mm-hmm. and so it's we have to just we just have to be willing to kill dulcinea we have to be willing to go this is the ideal and that's really nice and perfect and great but i have to be blessed with the resources which god has given me and the path which god is setting forth for me and be really prudent about that in order to build his kingdom here on earth of course and look at yourself too in the mirror, man. Don't don't like pass the buck too much on your wife or your you know future your future wife or future girlfriend. Like, right. you probably have stuff you got to work on too. So. Gosh, honestly, honestly, Just get over yourself and ask the girl out, man. Well, there's this like, look. It's it's like a fetishization, right? There's like like I listen. I like the perfect trad wife, like pedestal thing. Don't get me wrong, whatsoever. Like if I could. <laughs> if i could i think look jen wears a lot of dresses and i freaking love them i if it was up to me she would wear nothing but dresses right uh and heels and her feet wouldn't hurt at the end of the night but then of course but jen's a human right and so she's and she's not like my robot but she's she is my helper my partner my, she will be i should say my help and my partner my companion and you have to take her and she has hopes dreams wants and and she um and you know, I'm sure that she snores. Looks like we're gonna have to figure that one out the hard way. So <laughs> I found out I snore, dude. Yo, <laughs> actually, Jen says I snore. I, I, you know, I'll take like a nap someplace, not with her, because obviously I'm a good Catholic who loves Jesus. Um, yeah, she'll be like driving up and napping. She'll be like, "Yeah, you snore," and I'm like, "Well, you know, you snore, so whatever." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Nina, what'd you say? 
It's called apnea. Apnea, thank you. I got a condition. <laughs> it's a condition, okay. Um, it's very serious. <laughs> so this is an interesting this is an interesting one. And I was wondering about this one myself because I think this is a lot to do with the area which your extraordinary I'm sorry, Rudy, where your Latin mass finds itself. I'm just reading the article. <laughs> but it talks about it talks about the church's favorite buzzword right now, which is diverse congregations. Um and you can do without it. I know, right? But this is where it's interesting. It talks about how the Latin mass has an ability to attract a wide range of ethnic and linguistic linguistic groups. That's completely true. Uh, as an Italian contributor to this report explained, his local Latin mass is frequented by people of all ages, several young couples with children, often uh, Oriental, Sri Lankan, or even African, which are Congolese. And so there's a Canadian correspondent who talks about um, there are many young adults and seniors. Those attending also come from many national and ethnic backgrounds, Canadian, American, British, Chinese, Filipino, Indonesian, Vietnamese, Indian, Polish, German, South African, Australian, Korean, Trinidadian, Brazilian, Salvadorian, Mexican, Ivory Coast. And it goes on just to talk about how for a lot of people who might be immigrating, oftentimes in the case of our country from a more traditional culture to a less traditional culture, the tradition of the mass is what binds things together. And so mm -hmm. I like how it talks, especially not just about ethnic groups, but linguistic groups, because there's not the problem as we were talking about earlier with like three different masses and three different languages and all that stuff. Although I will say too, um, like when I was really starting to come back into the church, I would go a lot to the, I would go to the Spanish mass because oftentimes the Spanish mass the Spanish mass was a little bit more, it was a little bit more grounded. Yep. Like it was less happy clappy. It really? Was more like, yeah. And surprisingly, this was at the cathedral, but I don't think it's the same anymore because well, this was in 2000, 2010, mm -hmm. 2008, that sort of time. Yeah. And it was a lot more serious. Like that's what I like the homilies in Spanish. They were good. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I think they were tailoring that towards the culture though. Cause yeah, like the article said that Well, what I would expect the, from the Spanish mass surely is, is the music is a lot more, it's, I mean, it's a different kind of cultural than, than a Novus Ordo, uh, very dead senor. That's yeah. That's the common. Yeah. But I would no, expect, the, but I would bad. expect the, the homilies, and I would expect all that to be more and more grounded, in fact. Yeah. Because I think that's that's part of the culture. You know, men are men and women are women. Um, although now with the whole Latinx kind of thing, they're trying. Uh, <laughs> Is it Latinx or Latinx? You you tell me. Latinx. You're technically more Hispanic than I am, right? <laughs> I, my people are New Mexican. We're not we're not you Chicanos or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm having like an identity crisis. Like I, I identify more as white than, I don't know. Well, this is why I've always said this. Hispanic isn't a race. It's an ethnicity. So that's okay. An, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, that's yeah. what, so let me tell you this right now. My family is Northern New Mexican and this is very particular. Cause that's why mm -hmm. my dad looks like a conquistador, right? The Northern New Mexicans retained what the Spanish would have called more of the Christian blood. They were, they were a little mm -hmm. less native. Um, uh, not trying to disparage anybody. Uh, cancel me, whatever. I'm just saying that's what it is. That's a historical term. Um, 
and so I think that so for my family is a very we're you know we're very Americanized Hispanic I think my grandparents or my great grandparents on my dad's side in particular didn't speak um, English on my grandma on my mom's side it was kind of like it was very like accented English right but my grandparents now speak fluid Spanish fluid English um, my grandpa was a Korean War veteran like just very like good for the nation state when the nation state still existed so. But that's why I think, like, for me especially, like, because it's, like, now with all the Black Lives Matters and all that kind of stuff, the world is trying to turn tribalistic again. It's trying And it's trying to dictate you by race, which is not just a ridiculous idea because you're more likely to be killed by your own skin color than not. You know, that's the history of the world in a nutshell. But it's also a very modern interpretation. I'm going to have to send you this video, but there's a, a, video, a channel I watched, uh, I think it's Invictus, um, and the question was, how do the Romans view race? And the answer is that the Romans viewed culture, but they didn't really view race. And of course, race was tied to culture more intimately geographically, but they wouldn't have been like, oh, those people are not human per se. That's mm-hmm. like kind of an invention from like chattel slavery and, and the age of exploration and colonization like that. Um, so the well, Romans were like... Into the, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? I was going to I was going to talk about the acts of the apostles. I mean, oh yes. You look into the scripture and and it's literally all of these different types of people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And you see that the you see that in that moment all of those all of those people were meant to receive Christ. Yeah. And so it's true we we don't really look at race as much as other people do rather we like the romans look at culture yeah and so if you have a christian culture a western culture then you're more likely to assimilate together Mm -hmm. and this is this is the great beauty of the catholic faith in particular i think a lot of times about how the church when the conquistadors come over and have all these little native you know these these first hispanic babies i guess the church was like listen mm-hmm. they're your children and you need to recognize them as such you know yeah that that's the case and um so mixed marriages not in the way that the catholic church describes them because the only mixed marriage the catholic church understands is when a, a catholic marries a non-catholic that's a that's a mixed marriage in the faith in the faith um for us pragmatically mm-hmm. a mixed marriage of two different races it doesn't matter about your race it matters to do with culture your you know your your wife is quite irish my my fiance is is already a, a mixed chick you know she are she has she has plenty of irish blood in her too and, and plenty of black blood so um but it's all about what's but what's tinking inside someone's soul fundamentally exactly and so it's yeah. astounding to me like i i feel like now because there's this thing where you know there's this argument well um, it's ridiculous. The Catholic Church just advances whiteness and advances white saints and stuff. And I'm like, dude, here's a weird thing. Who is the, what is the greatest portrayal of Our Lady in the States? Our Lady of Guadalupe. An indigenous woman, really? <laughs> like, you know? As indigenous. I can't, I don't ever look, I don't look at Our Lady of Guadalupe and snarl. I don't look at Our Lady of Lords and roll my eyes. I don't look at Our Lady of Akita and go, well, that's just BS, you know? Yeah. And that's just, that's, but that's, no one had to tell you that. That was just naturally grilled in. Like, no one told me, listen, Our Lady Guadalupe is going to look different than the Virgin Mary when, than when she appeared to St. Bernadette. So you got to watch out. It was just like, cool. <laughs> this is Our Lady, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, 
that's pretty much that's pretty much the end of the article. There's a conclusion which makes sense, which is just saying that um, the extraordinary form is a small percentage right now, but it's growing and it should not be ignored. And it has, because it's the force of the Holy Spirit, uh, a force that is able to get us back to our traditional roots of the faith and is able to promulgate itself. The last, I just want to read the very last um, paragraph. And it says, Easiest of all to conform is the presence of men in the extraordinary form. With ordinary form congregations in many places being increasingly dominated by older women, the ability of the EF to retain at least an equal number of men as well as young people and those bringing up children is of no small significance. It, oh. it, will, it will always skew younger. The article talks about thanks to YouTube, thanks to the digital space, Catholics who are making content, making art culture are naturally going to tradition. No one is making the best of David Haas or anything. <laughs> Wasn't just, David Haas canceled? Yeah, because canceled. of the, 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 I think they're allegations of sexual misconduct. Um, <laughs> which both- I shouldn't laugh at that. I'm not laughing at the sexual misconduct. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at- well, his terrible music. If I if I may, the, if there's one saving grace, at least it was it was allegations with women. I mean, heavens. <laughs> Sorry. Oof. <laughs> oh. oh man. Yeah. That's horrible. I know. I know. I know. Well, yeah. God has a plan. God definitely has a plan, and I think He's using, or rather, He's allowing us to use all of these different forms of communication. Of it's just everything's sort of working out so that young people inherit the church as it was meant to be inherited. Nowadays, there are so many people looking for identity. And mm -hmm. how sad it is, especially in this age of great loneliness, where people are finding that their tribalistic roots are not satisfactory. They don't, they don't appease a soul. The Marxist understanding of you are only to be understood by your race or your ethnicity or cultural or your pattern or speech or your class or whatever the catholic church has solved this throughout all of history the catholic church has a role for princes it has a role for paupers it has a role for sinners and it has a role for saints and so good christian culture builds upon a real natural obligation to understanding to each other about what binds us as the most important thing, which is the mass, which is the church, which is the teachings. And I I feel like one thing that makes me so excited is that we're part of that. And it's not because we want to spite the church. It's not because we've burned every single thing about our upbringings. You know, there's, there's a lot of things I'm extremely grateful for. Obviously, I, I learned the love of Jesus in the ordinary form. It, But it breaks my heart knowing that here was an entire treasure trove that we were told for 60 years wasn't a treasure trove. And I think to my confirmation class who 90% of them are not practicing Catholics anymore. They're just out. And we weren't taught the faith and we weren't taught the treasures and the richness of the faith. And I'm just so grateful that, that we can play a part in, really kind of uncovering and rediscovering Catholicism, that we can really play a part in, in uncovering the beauties and the treasures of the church again. Absolutely. I, you know, and that's the other, I mean, that's that's why we're even doing this thing. And the Glad Trad podcast came about because we wanted to, we wanted to bring people to tradition. We wanted mm -hmm. to to share that that beautiful experience that we have every every time we go to mass with everybody.
mm-hmm. and um, we're hoping to grow it. So if you could um, like, if you're not subscribed, like the video, if you're not subscribed, uh, consider subscribing to us, turn on the bell notification so you know when we're dropping a new video. Uh, we drop um, we drop videos pretty often. Yeah. Um, I've sort of, well, we haven't really done one because we, we're in two different states now. Um, but we're, you know, we're trying to figure it out because mm-hmm. there's a lot of life going on. Yeah. But yeah, we have a lot of interesting topics coming up and Jordan does a really awesome uh, series on Catholic masculinity. Does some solo videos. Those are awesome. Um, but yeah, consider subscribing. And if you could share this with your friends, your family, uh, if you thought this was interesting to you, maybe it might be interesting to them and bring them into tradition. You never know. Mm-hmm. That's right. And really a great thank you to our current subscribers, both those on YouTube and those who listen on the podcasting platforms, whether that's on Apple or Google or Stitcher or iHeartRadio. Here on YouTube, it, it's incredible because I was just listening to our podcast from a year ago, actually. One of our episodes was made around this time. And it's so cool that Rudy and I, you know, it's funny because I listen to us and it doesn't sound any different. You know, we're not we're not putting on a show. We're just we're just two Catholic jabronis who love the Lord, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and, and memes and kind of dank Catholic trad culture, you know, and I like how, I like how it's not it's not a polished experience or anything. It's just like us doing our thing. And um the amount of support and comments and replies back have just been absolutely great. Um, there was a comment on our Instagram today, Rudy, where um, a guy was saying, like, this has kind of helped me lead back to tradition and back into the church a little bit. And uh, thank you. And I was like, wow, wow that's great. Amazing. So we are we are constantly touched by your guys' prayers and your guys' support. Sharing this, liking this, you know, sending it out, sending the good word out, listening to us is all wonderful. But really, your continued prayer life has just been so, so many blessings for us, really. So, so really from the bottom of, of my heart and from Rudy's heart, thank you. That's, that's absolutely incredible. We could not have, we could not have imagined uh, how fun of a year this has been doing this, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's been really cool. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. It's very awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find, um, here's a little, uh, a little teaser for you guys. I'm trying to find something interesting to uh like a nice prayer book or uh, you know something something nice a nice catholic book to rebind mm-hmm. and give away so keep an keep an eye out for that we're probably going to do that sometime soon we're going to do a giveaway uh we're going to do a raffle so um yeah keep an keep an eye out for that and um until then god bless you and may keep you oh, yes. Oh, yes.